electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Stocks roar, yields fall. The Nasdaq and S&P on track to have their best weekly gains for the year, while the 10-year backing off big time from its 5-plus percent peak. Should investors believe this mini start of November boom? Plus, star bucking the trend. While so many companies, Starbucks, I should say, while so many companies are saying the consumer's back, it's cutting back, the coffee giant's seeing beverage and food orders soar. We'll go inside their numbers coming up. And later, Lilly and Novo's fat profits from obesity drugs, the big gains from a new buy, buy now, pay later partnership at a firm, and full steam ahead today at Roku, their eye-popping games gains. I'm Melissa Lee. We've got all that plus... Apple earnings, the conference call is just kicking off right now. We'll bring you all the details in this jam-packed hour. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Bono and Eisen, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with earnings from the biggest of the big shares are of Apple in the after-hour session are uh, moving a little bit lower here, down about a percent, despite the tech giant beating both revenue and earnings estimates. The company posting its fourth straight quarter of declining sales. The conference call just getting started. CNBC's Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Hey there, Melissa. Yeah, it was a beat on the top and bottom lines for Apple. Let's go over the numbers real quick here. EPS was $1.46 versus $1.39 expected by the street. Revenues was also just a slight beat here, uh, $89.5 billion versus the $89.28 billion expected. And that's down 1% from the year-ago quarter, right in line with expectations from what Apple got in towards. And as you said, fourth quarter in a row of declining sales, marking a full fiscal year of declining sales for Apple. Let's break down some of the more important segments, though, here. iPhone revenues were a right in line with expectations at $43.81 billion. And services, a new record for Apple here and a beat $22.31 billion versus the $21.35 billion expected. Um, and then I got to catch up with uh, CEO Tim Cook about these results. Um, we dove into the iPhone business and this record September quarter for the iPhone, which is up 3% year on year just for that segment. Uh, Here's what he told me, quote, obviously we launched the new iPhone 15 family during the quarter. It's the best product lineup we've ever had for the iPhone. And we're excited to get those in the hands of customers as quickly as possible. Now this part's important guys. It's still early and the iPhone 15 Pro and 15 Pro Max are still constrained and we're working hard to get those out there as quickly as possible. Uh, Broke that down a little bit more with Cook and him telling me that it's not really production problems causing these supply constraints. It is high demand, so they're trying to make as many as possible. Um, And then the Mac business, which is down a whopping 34% quarter over uh, year over year here uh, to $7.61 billion in sales. Um, I talked to Cook about that as well, him telling me, quote, I think the Mac is going to have a significantly better quarter in Q1 in the December quarter. We've got the M3s. We've got the new products. We don't have the compare phenomenon on year over year basis. So I think it'll get significantly better. So a little color there on what to expect from the call just getting started. But of course, as we always say, wait for the call. Wait for those comments on Outlook for the holiday quarter to see if Apple can return to growth. Mel, I'll send it back over to you. All right, Steve, keep us posted. Steve Kovac, uh, Apple stock down by six-tenths of a percent right now. 
Dan, what'd you make of the quarter miss on China? So that was so weak. Yeah, China down two and a half percent down sequentially. And again, we've been highlighting, you know, Tesla's uh, recent issues as it relates to China. Um, listen, the quarter's fine. If you if you just look at the, that, the fact that the iPhone number comes exactly in line, I think it's kind of interesting. And you look at that Mac number and you say to yourself, oh, it makes sense why they had that prime time event that they did the other night. I don't think consumers are rushing out for the new M3 chip and this and that or whatever, but likely because those compares are going to be pretty easy. They're going to do better into the holiday season. But again, to have the stock like flat like this after the rally that it's had, um, you know, I would say that's actually probably not a bad outcome for the stock right here because sentiment was pretty poor heading into this. And as long as the guidance is or at least the commentary in and around the guidance is not too much worse than what we already see right now, I suspect the stock says. Well, and I put it differently. If, if you sold this stock on the fact that, oh, it's their fourth quarter or consecutive quarter of declining revenues, you know, the market knew that yesterday. So um, we knew where we were going to be here. I, I, I'll take a glass half full and say you've got services up 16 percent. They beat that number. You have an installed base that grows by the day. Uh, the argument for Apple, the stock as an investor, is one that the multiple is is moving higher. Now, can it move higher from here? I'm not I'm not here to, to, to say I think it can. I'm here to tell you that when I see the services numbers be as strong as they are and the installed base uh, and the active installed base continue to grow, that's an argument for the multiple of this stock. Uh, it rallied seven and a half percent into these numbers. Uh, the rest of the market has had a very big run. It's back above its 50. There's some important levels for it. Do I see it moving a lot higher from here? Probably not. But again, we know it's a market proxy in this market today. We're going to talk all about that. Um, it's Apple's market. So Dan and I were chatting in the green room about the results when they first crossed. And Dan, you made the point if this had happened, if these numbers had crossed last Thursday, it could have been a different reception in the market. And the fact that it's sort of just flat to slightly lower actually speaks volumes. It's actually a good price mm -hmm. action given where we are. And it's a different market today given what we got from the Fed yesterday. 100%. Apple has a China problem, I think. I mean, $15 billion a street was at $17 billion. The flip side of that coin, to Tim's point, services are now almost 25% of overall revenue, which is good, which is why that premium valuation is somewhat justified, I guess. I think the fact that it's not moving here is people trying to figure out, you know, we've bounced from 165 up to current levels. What's the right price for the stock? You know, I thought we could get down to 161, which is a 50% retracement. Was that move to 165 enough? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how we trade tomorrow. Not really a whole lot to add. I mean, honestly, I read through the earnings report and I was like, blah, 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 services. Okay, blah, 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 iPhones. I don't really care about anything else right now. And that was squarely what I was focused on. I think that was squarely what investors were focused on. Um, I think, again, they've defended their multiple, but the push higher still uh, is to be determined. iPhone 15s, I know they're saying that it's a demand-driven constraint, but that's still to be determined. I don't think there was, there was much, maybe a, a couple of weeks in terms of the numbers that we're seeing here. Q4 will really tell the tale on that. I think that and services is really what's going to be the driving force forward. And I think the real question on demand for iPhone 15 is also going to be the China question, right? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the Chinese consumer, we've gotten so many data points just recently about how weak the Chinese consumer is. Do they have the wherewithal at this point to spend on an iPhone, the iPhone 15? No, they probably don't. And the fact that China was this weak and these numbers are where they are, maybe, again, you, you could say they oh. did better. And, and the numbers that we've seen, and we heard this out of Qualcomm last night, we're hearing from other people saying China is starting to pick up some steam. The OEMs are growing. Um, but we also know that there's some political pressure on Apple as a brand in China. 
China. By the way, is India the new China? Tim Cook on the tape right now saying all-time revenue record in India. Really low base. Not all that tough to, do, to beat. But um, no question, demographics in India are so much better than China. And Apple is going out of their way to court this, com- this country. And, and they're doing it. And they're winning. And I think it's important going forward. Yeah, well, it's been important to them for 10 years. And, and, and they really haven't made a whole heck of a lot of ground. That's India. The fact that they're manufacturing iPhones there, I think, is a big step. But, you know, Tim, you just mentioned it's at a big level. If you take a, a ruler and you go from the uh, all-time high that Apple made in early August and you attach it to I, the... By the way, I walk around with a ruler in my back pocket. You know who does? I'm Carter Braxton works. Protractor as well. But, you know... So many jokes he can yeah. make. Yeah, no. All right. No, we wouldn't do that. Why would we joke? All right, but here's the deal. Um, uh, pretty well-defined downtrend. And today, on the close, it stopped right at that downtrend if you attach all the highs. And the last thing I'll just say about the multiple is, like, I agree, um, you know, that install base growing and the bigger mix of services, fantastic here. But this company is expected to grow earnings and sales 6% a year this current fiscal year, trading about 27 times in this market. That does seem a little bit odd to me. All right. For more on Apple, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to see you. You're all bold up at the uh, about the active installed base. Record highs that keeps the flywheel going. So the Apple story continues. Does it justify this valuation? Does it justify a push higher? I think it does, Melissa. And I think that gets lost in kind of this inline-ish quarter because ultimately, if they continue to grow the number of active devices, that means that the revenue durability, the visibility continues to improve. And we've gone back and uh, you've heard me talk about for the past year that I think that this should be viewed as a consumer staples company. Those multiples have come down, but they are surprisingly high relative to their growth rates. They tend to trade the big ones, Coke, Procter & Gamble, Clorox in the mid-20 multiple, and they tend to be a 1% uh, type of growing business. In the case of Apple, I think we're going to return to a 5-ish percent growth for the next couple of years. And ultimately, they have upside for other levers, whether it's related to Vision Pro or something in automotive, uh, a lever that uh, consumable uh, consumer staple companies just simply don't have. So put all that together, Melissa, I absolutely think that this should trade at a higher multiple. I think a sustainable multiple in the low 30s is respectable. And growing a user base in this uh, macro environment is a difficult thing to do. And they do it, uh, they do it quarter in, quarter out. Services, as we said, now almost 25%, Gene, and it makes sense that operating margins are 30%. That actually, I mean, that's a reason, that justification enough for the higher multiple. But I guess my question is, where can it go to? Like, at a certain point, services is going to top out in terms of percentage of overall revenue. What's going to continue to go higher, uh, 16% growth, of course, in the September quarter. Overall, business was down a little bit. So this is becoming a bigger part. This It's just over 20% of total revenue. This could be a 30% plus part of their story. It's going to continue to gain share. I think that was a surprising number on the, the services. It's the best number since December of 21. And with the backdrop that this uh, business is going to see a headwind from developer pushback around App Store fees and what's going on with Google, and so ultimately, this continues to keep powering higher. And I think it's, uh, to answer your question, Guy, I think it's just going to keep going up. And I, it's 30%, 30% plus of total revenue. How do you think about the services revenue durability in a recession? How, how immune is it? It's, it's been an impact kind of uh, earlier this year. We had growth of 8% in the June quarter. 
And again, this is the best number that we've seen since December 21. So we have seen a slowback. If you want to kind of uh, zoom back a little bit and look at the duration of, of what's going on with the consumer. So it can be impacted. Uh, services can be impacted. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a difficult comp over the past year because it was just so white hot over to 2021, the services growth as everybody was doing more stuff at home. So um, I think at the end of the day, the services business is growing at uh, 10 to 15% and is, is remarkably durable when it comes to consumer softness. I think that's the whole, my, my whole takeaway here is that this company is the fabric for those users can't live without a type of a product. And ultimately, those are just more opportunities for Apple to sell, to increase ASPs, and, uh, and to do that in a profitable way. One last point here, the margins are remarkable. These are the highest margins that they've ever had in the midst of everything that's going on. I think that gets lost. 45.2%, a record. Gene, thank you. Keep us updated on what you hear from that conference call. Um, Will do. So, uh, you know, it's interesting if you take a look at the price targets on the street. Some are still wildly bullish on this. 240 is the highest price target held by two firms. Um, is that 240? Is that look, I don't know about 240. I mean, that's obviously significant. Yeah. What is that, 25% from where we are ish, 30%? I'll say this there's enough for bulls here for the price that the appreciation we've seen in the last couple of weeks to sort of hold in there. China's a problem, though. They got to explain, like, what's is this going to continue to deteriorate or is there some sort of bottoming process going on? That's the first question I would ask. Yeah, I, I would tend to think that it touches 160 before it touches that 240 level. With that said, I think G makes a lot of good points. It has definitely defended its home base, and that's really my takeaway. I didn't think that it was a seller quarter, but I, I do think that it defended its home base. And honestly, gun to my head, I'm probably a, a better buyer, if anything. Look, the reason the stock should, tra- should be defensive is they're going to buy back a lot of stock, and they're going to pay out dividends, and they're going to continue to generate free cash flow. In a higher margin environment, we care a little bit less. I, I, I the ASPs on the phone has been an impressive part of really the story from 21 and 22. Um, that was what we wanted to see. Uh, now on the services side, again, Apple Care. Like you're talking about all these things that really uh, it, it's, it feels like it's free money to them. And, and I do think that the installed base is something that is going to continue to be a strength here. So uh, I think that can be somewhat resilient because I think, it, and I'd love to get the breakdown. And I don't know if you, what is that breakdown of the services number? We talk about services. I mean, how much of that is App Store? How much of that is Apple Care? How much is that is cloud? storage. I mean, it seems like some of these uh, areas are probably doing the heavy bulk of the lifting. Yeah, well, there's search deal with Google, and that's something that we've been talking about, too, is, is, is in that, and that is a very high-margin business. So, again, I think Gene has it right, and Gene didn't even mention the one thing that he gets excited about in and around services is Vision Pro, and we get it, high price point on this and that, whatever. He believes that is, like, far and beyond uh, better than whatever Oculus, you know, Facebook has out there, and that will definitely play into the services. I just say this. I go back to what you said, Mel. I mean, if this was a week ago, okay, I just think that the stock would probably be down 3 or 4%. And just think about how much Google was down off of a quarter that looked a lot like this. It was down 9%. I'm not saying the stock should be down that much, but just the, the mood has changed very quickly. But remember, it can go back the other way, too, very quickly, too. So to me, I don't think there's anything that special about this. And your 160 number, you've been calling for 160. That's about 10%. Even without here. my ruler. Yeah, oh, man. you're rolling. So, 
You yeah. do carry it in your pocket, though. Who, who, All right, see, I mean, I usually, I, I can't believe it's you two doing this. I'm not doing anything. What are we doing? You know exactly what, are we what doing? Doing. What are we, he's doing. I'm just quoting him. What are we doing? Let's get to the markets now. That's what we're doing. Major indices closing near their <laughs> highs of the day as investors hold on to their post-Fed momentum. The S&P surging nearly 1.9%, its best performance since April. The benchmark index now back above its 200-day moving average with energy and real estate uh, leading today's gains. The Nasdaq up 1.8%, rising for a fifth day in a row, now on pace for its best week since November, the Dow gaining over 560 points. Meantime, long-term Treasury yields are dropping sharply, the rate on the 10-year yield falling below 4.7% to its lowest level in nearly three weeks. But are these moves justified, or will the risks come to roost for the markets? Apple defending its home base. Good sign. That's helpful. a good sign, definitely, for this moment. Job, we'll see what happens tomorrow. There's a lot still to parse through. I didn't look. We had an interesting conversation a couple days ago. Carter talked about, you know, yields probably still in a bull market, yields going higher, but you'd see pullbacks along the way. I didn't think you'd see a 30 basis point pullback in three or four days, I mean, which is effectively exactly what we've seen. So I guess to a certain extent, the move in the S&P, given where we sold off, makes a little bit of sense. However, I'll say this, since July high of 4607-ish in the S&P, a series of lower lows, which we just recently made, and lower highs, which we're seemingly making now. Now, if we get a close above sort of 4,375, 4,400, another conversation. But that's sort of the level we have to breach. What, what I think is interesting about today is the day when the equal weighted S&P outperformed the S&P. So you guys can all do the math on that. It means you weren't carried by mega cap tech. Uh, I also think you set yourself up into a payroll number. Remember, the last three months on payrolls um, largely have been through the roof. And, the, you know, so good has been bad. Uh, and as you said, Guy, I mean, that move in, in yields lower, uh, although on October 1st, we're right back to where we were only, you know, a month ago. So it's been so extraordinary that I think uh, bad is good tomorrow. If you get any knockdown on this payroll number, markets are going to continue to rally. And we're up 5.4 percent off that intraday low on Friday. Uh, And I think we're, you know, we're 20 or 30 S&P points from being at a place where the technical guys have to maybe say that downtrend is broken. Well, the the weaker number would justify the Fed's stance, Mm -hmm. the Fed's pause, right? This wasn't about the Fed, But think about it. It's like this is Treasury auction stuff, right? Well, that plus really. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's during the, the press conference, we saw, well, we saw the tr- on the on the announcement in the morning, we saw yields go down. We saw them regain. And then during the press conference, they went back down again. I, mean, I, I agree. I, I guess, you know, get back to that technical side of the yes. Treasury move. I think it's been. All right. Bad. But I, but but so last last month we had a 336 in the nonfarm payrolls. Right. Right now, expectations 180. If that comes in hot. You tell me what are yields doing? I mean, like to, like to me, I, I think they're going back. But up. You know, the, jo- that, you know the jobs are going lower. I mean, doesn't the market know that? I, I, I mean, I hear you. I, I just I find it hard to believe that the labor market is going to go to fresh all time highs. And maybe you get a month or two. Of this, what? But. Seasonally? I mean, I, who, who knows? You know, and, and so, again, I, I just like, listen, I, I go back to the fact that, you know, we we've had a lot of data here. The Fed says they're data dependent. I think sentiment going yep. into this Fed meeting was for a hawkish pause. What they got was a dovish pause. So if you start to have hot economic data again, I think you probably have a 10 year on its way back towards 5 percent. I tend to agree that what I'll say this about the rally, would you if I ask you this a week ago, would you feel good about a market that was led by real estate and regional banks? Would you tell me that would be a positive? I think all of us almost unanimously would say no. I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but like there is something to that. You know, I I know we have economic data tomorrow. I know the Fed was somewhat uh, more dovish than people probably expected, but the breath is good. But I don't think real estate and regionals is probably where we want to see leadership rotate into. All right. 
Coming up, the Goldilocks period may be over for fintech stocks. Our next guest says student loan data could be make or break for the industry. All things consumer next, plus Starbucks shares posting their biggest gain in over a year after their latest earnings and the CEO laying out plans for growth in China. We've got all the details right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We've only said that we would grow to 9,000 by the end of 25. And I'll tell you this, that is just a milestone. There are 3,000, you know, uh, provincial cities, as they would call it. We're only in 500, going to 800 soon. There's a city in a, in a province called uh, Anhui. It's called Tongcheng. It has a population of 700,000 people. There's no Starbucks in there. And there'll be one in, uh, in 2024. That was the CEO of Starbucks talking China growth with our own Jim Cramer. Shares surging nearly 10% in today's session after the coffee maker posted a big beat on the top and the bottom line, fueled by strong U.S. demand for pricier drinks. The company also updating investors after the market close about their reinvention strategy and holiday launch. I think it's called Triple Shot. Mm. appropriately. Announcing some partnerships with Apple, Amazon, as well as Microsoft. By the way, you can catch the rest of Jim's exclusive interview with the CEO of Starbucks at 6 p.m. Eastern time right after Fast Money. Tim, what do you think of this? I mean, nothing not to like here. I, I, I also had a, a Christmas cup with my coffee this morning. I mean, they got, they, they got the holiday cups out there. And boy, did. it always feels a little bit strange um, in early November, the second day of November. But I thought these numbers were great because the things that they emphasized are things that give the stock a better multiple. They talked about their 33 million in dedicated users and the active, excuse me, the ticket sizes that are going higher and the fact that uh, digital and drive-through are drivers for, again, their core customer base. This was driven by North America. This was plus 8% on comps. Over 2019 stack, they're up about 650 basis points sequentially. Uh, international was weaker. So, the, you know, for those people that are concerned about that China story, which in Starbucks case, you know, let, let's see. They're, they're putting a lot of investment into China. I think that's important. As someone's been long the stock, I've been longer. Um, I, I feel that there's still pressure on them. I, I, I think I get that people like me go in there and spend more now. And now my daughter's buying like the, the, the I don't know, the, it's like a light green colored. What do you call that stuff? Whatever I'm not it is, sure. it's got to be north of $6, it, my it, guess. It, and, she know, and she knows I'm going to pay for it. So I think there's pressure on it. Uh, the comps are impressive, but I think the valuation is something that could come down a bit. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking not too long ago about companies that are in China that were depending on China for growth. And should they be discounted for that China growth? Here's Star- Starbucks, is, as you point out, yes. plowing money into putting a Starbucks in, in provinces like Anhui. 
Uh, and will that pay off or do you discount a stock like Starbucks for that very exposure? Yum China, totally different read on the Chinese consumer yesterday. I think there's a, you know, a discount that's warranted if they're unable to offset it domestically. And they're showing that they are exa- able to do exactly that. So if you kind of look at some of the numbers here, uh, revenue up 11 percent, same store sales up 8 percent. The loyalty program, which I really think is that, you know, an ace in their cap, 14 percent up to 32.6 million. Um, and then the customer base that seemingly seems unfazed. I don't know. I wish every. I think everyone wishes that they had the Starbucks customer. Inflation, what? Pressure on the consumer, what? No, undeterred, uh, continuing to spin. And I really think that this is like a blowout quarter. So this is what I'm kind of looking for when I look at a, you know a bellwether within the portfolio. And so for that, for all of those reasons, I don't think they deserve to be discounted with their China present. Although I will expect there to be you know some cash drag in terms of investment. Um, by the way, we should point out that Apple share. Uh, are down by almost 4%, three and three quarters percent. Um, expects year-over-year fiscal first quarter revenue to be similar to last year, according to the CFO. So it appears we're getting some guidance here, and it's not um, what the markets want. Apple expects iPhone revenue in the fiscal first quarter to grow on an absolute basis. We're getting some more of these headlines. We're obviously seeing the stock react immediately on these uh on this news, down about 3.5% here as we're digesting it. So talk about like changing just the tenor of like what we saw over the last, call it, two trading sessions. I mean, like I know we're going to get into some of the stocks and some of the way these things move to better than expected uh, results uh, with, you know, expectations not particularly high. And I think this is the one that could actually do that. And if you think about it, again, from a technical level, Guy talked about the S&P where it got to right to that downtrend. Apple did, too. I think that a lot of stocks, especially if we have some hot data tomorrow, we have rates going higher. I think they probably give back a bunch of these gains. The one thing I'll say to you, Tim. Oh, sorry. Matcha. 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 That is what she is buying. Yeah. The green stuff. Yeah, the green stuff. It's strange. So I'll just say that that, the way Starbucks gapped up, we have not seen that in a while on a move on a stock like that. It doesn't. It closed on the low. I suspect it fills in a bit of that gap, guy. North American is a North America story. Bonowin said it. Tim said it in terms of revenues. I don't know what they're doing to the consumer. Clearly, I just learned because of what margins and operating margins were 23.2 percent, up from 18.5 percent this quarter a year ago. So how much do you extra do you pay for your, I don't. Um, your soy, your soy I, almond I don't. milk? I don't. Okay. I don't. I rarely drink Listen, coffee. Listen, I buy coffees for other people, know, as you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But with that said, I mean, how sustainable is that? That to me, that's the story. Margins are great. Comps and actually China weren't terrible. Valuation's not ridiculous, but this stock doesn't move 10% in a day historically. So let's see. All right. um, Let's head to break here. We are still watching Apple down now after giving some guidance here. The latest headline here on services revenue expected to grow at a similar double-digit rate in fiscal first quarter as in the fiscal fourth quarter. So um, similar double-digit rate. We'll, We'll continue to monitor these headlines and the stock reaction. Here's what's coming up next. Weight loss winners, obesity drug sales, fueling Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk earnings in their latest quarters. We'll give you the skinny on the beats that were anything but slim. Plus, crunch time for the consumer trade. Could fintech be the X factor this holiday season? The answer, next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. 
Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, Apple shares just off of after-hour session lows, now down by 3.4% or so, 3.3%. Um, CFO Luca Maestri is giving guidance. Key one gross margins expected to be between 45 and 46%, um, which is close to where we are right now in the just-reported quarter. Fast Money friend Gene Munster has been listening in. They've also, Gene, been giving um, guidance on iPhone revenue, services revenues, and we saw that stock drop in a straight line down 4%. What happened? Melissa, they guided revenue down by 5% versus where the street was at for December. So effectively, they're looking for revenue to be flat year over year. The reason is that they're attributing this to last year, we had a 14-week December quarter, this year a 13-week. If this would have also been a 14-week quarter, Tim Cook mentioned, or uh, Luca mentioned that you can imply that the guidance would have been 2% higher than the street. So this brings the question, what were analysts thinking and which analysts were, uh, what percentage of the analysts actually factored in a 13 versus a 14 week? I was an analyst for a long time, Melissa, and I can tell you this is something that we would track closely. And I suspect that the majority of estimates did factor that in. So I think that this is a, a genuine soft guide. He did, uh, Luca did talk about part of the reason was the difficult comps. Uh, the iPad has difficult comps, the wearables with watch, and new AirPods that came out last year. And essentially what they're setting up this to be is, you've got uh, also 1% headwind from FX, is that there's a lot of noise related to the number of weeks and the uh, difficult, difficult comps. And I think it's setting up for the March quarter, or if we can start talking about that, probably to be back around 5% growth from flattish in December. It seems almost disappointing for Apple to sort of blame it on Wall Street analysts for not having counted the weeks on their calendar, which everybody has in advance, as you point out, Gene. I mean, people knew how many weeks were in this quarter versus, you know, I mean, that, that seems like a lame excuse. Um, but in terms mm-hmm. of your point that you're, you're all you know, excited about, the active install base hitting a record, how does this sort of, um, you know, flush out with that data point versus the soft guide that they are giving right now? Because obviously that's not enough. Not enough. The way I think about it is imagine a line that slowly goes up and to the right. That's the active device base. Uh, Tim Cook mentioned that it grew nicely in the quarter. That was the, the word. So it's probably growing at a few percent year over year. And the way I think about it is the demand in any given quarter is going to have some fluctuations. Some of it's based on uh, uh, product timing. We're going to have a great quarter with the, they will have a great quarter with the Mac, I suspect, in December. They talked about that. But then you get the softness because of some of this product timing. But ultimately, as that rising number of active base, that line kind of slow up into the right, you're going to see revenue kind of some quarters, it's going to be a little bit above that line, some quarters a little bit below. And I think the December quarter is a little bit below. And there's, I would say this, that investors are, are still going to sleep well knowing that the franchise is intact. There's just a lot of noise, at least, in mm-hmm. how to think about the December quarter. All right, Gene, thanks for the update. Uh, Gene Munster, Apple down 3.7% right now. I don't know, what's your take on this, on this guidance and how it was given? 
I mean, nearly one, 123 billion was the expectation, at least what I'm looking at here on Fact Set for expectations. So they're guiding to 117, so that's about 5%. And when you think about it, I mean, the way we used to do math, and, you know, is like down, you guide down 5%, the stock goes down 5%, stock's down, you know, 4.5% or something like that. Um, you know, again, this is a mid single digit grower for this current fiscal year. This is the Q1 that we're in right now, trading at, you know, 24, 25 times. I actually want to extrapolate this. You know, think about what expectations are for S&P earnings for 2024, up 12, 13 percent or so. And, you know, to me, I just think that sounds unusually too large right now. So to me, I think you can draw these things together. All right, let's move on here. Obesity drug heavyweights, Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly topping the tape after reporting earnings before the bell. Results of both companies getting a boost from the popularity of GLP-1 drugs, but the pair noting the ongoing supply constraints as they each work to ramp up production. Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks joined CNBC earlier today. Here's what he said about expanding the obesity drug pipeline. I think a lot of the news is about uh, the Anchortons, Manjaro, and by the way, Joe, we have uh, half a dozen other uh, weight loss uh, medicines in the pipeline with different profiles, including one in phase three that could have as much as 30% weight loss in obese individuals. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a serial innovator in obesity. So with both stocks far outperforming their healthcare peers this year, is it still Novo and Lilly's game to lose? Sort of feels that way, Tim. There's no question. I mean, these Manjaro numbers came in better than expected. Yeah. Um, the coverage and the ASP around the coverage is improving for the company. Um, the, the capacity dynamics aren't, aren't great, but they're in line with what the company said. So, in the, so this incretin. Am I, am I doing that right? It's essentially the, the, the portfolio of those drugs that, yes. that basically regulate what's increted or secreted into the blood. And this is where it starts to get way over my head. But the point of it, it's not just Manjaro. They have a full portfolio of stocks here that are serving nuanced different you know, needs within this space. So I, I look at the multiple and I say, no way. Um, I will say that. I mean, I, I just it, at some point it gets to a place, but um, they've continued to be conservative. These numbers today were absolutely bullish. Agreed. The multiple is is a tough pill to swallow. But if you look at the rest of the space, BMY, AbbVie, Merck, Jenny John, uh, Sanofi, all of those have struggled. Just absolutely brutal. brutal. And they're in a situation where they've got to struggle with repricing. They've got to kind of balance M&A with R&D. I just think the the whole corporate structure setup for those is very challenging. And yes, these these other two stocks are up 50, 60 percent and you're you're reluctant to chase them. But I really they they are the only real growth engine that doesn't have a, a structural challenge sitting in in their face. Good news about Lilly. And we've pointed this out. You've had opportunities to buy these on significant pullbacks in the stock. I mean, we've seen 12, 15, 18 percent pullbacks in the name a number of times over the last couple of years. And we're probably going to get on the precipice of that happening again. Each time, by the way, the sell off, we've had a new all time high. Maybe we'll see that again. But I guess my point is I love the name. We've loved it for a while. I just don't think you have to go flying into it today if you're just initiating a position. Coming up, Roku rips higher. The streamer surging more than 30% thanks to an upbeat forecast. That action plus the rest of the day's big movers next. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks ripping higher today as Treasury yields retreated. The Dow, S&P 500, and Nasdaq all closing up nearly 2%. Roku ripping more than 30% on follow-through from their upbeat earnings last night. It was only its best gain since July, though. 
brought the stock back to where it was in mid-September. Some other after-hour earnings movers, Paramount and DraftKings, both higher on their latest reports. Coming up, fintech front and center. Next guy says consumers are being forced to take risks and the industry is balancing on a knife's edge. We'll dive into that right after this. That and much more ahead on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Block surging though off its after-hours highs after posting third-quarter earnings and revenue beats EPS, coming in $0.08 cents higher than its estimates. Block's revenue also jumping, the after-hours jump adding to a 7% gain during today's trading. All right, let's get to Findeck here. A firm share is jumping more than 20% today after expanding its partnership with Amazon. The company's buy now, pay later checkout option will become available to Amazon small business merchants just in time for the holidays. And our next guest suggests it's a vital service for consumers right now. Stuart Sopp is CEO of Current, which is a digital bank. Stuart, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Um, you know, I read through the notes uh, from the pre-interview that you gave, and what really yeah. stood out to me was what you're seeing in your own customer base in terms of people having two jobs. Yeah, that's right. So if you look at the Fed data, I think you guys were talking about it a little bit earlier. Uh, the wage inflation is moderating um, quite substantially. And uh, the, America has a sort of tale of two cities right now, two, two, two groups of the wealthy and less affluent. And so if you look at the current data right now, if you're having a paycheck over this last year, 20%, 25% of uh, paycheck uh, depositors have at least one extra job. 20, a further 20% incremental from there have two jobs. So that's nearly 40, 50 percent of um, payrollers on current uh, 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 looking for extra extra work. And they're trying to make that money go further because of inflation. How do you extrapolate that? How do you start thinking about buy now, pay later in terms of their exposure to a very weak consumer? It seems like that's the same cohort that would use buy now, pay later services. I think that's right. I, you have to be careful with charge offs and all the rest of it. But the I think there's a, a very valid and valuable space for fintech right now that are offering uh, extra liquidity at a very uh, in need and demand time. If you look at the CFPB, they came out earlier this week with this big report saying $130 billion of interest and fee income in 2022. We have over a trillion dollars of credit card debt right now. It's going to be way bigger this year. And you have to assume, or at least believe, that a, a decent proportion of that money is, is misallocated. These are products, unsecured credit cards are uh, not suitable for everyone. And with inflation being where it is and the, and the consumer less affluent everyday American being stretched and trying to fill that gap, they're being forced into risks like risky credit cards and these other things. And I think when, it looks at, when you look at BNPL and you look at um, wage access or paycheck advance that we have at current, um, these are really good products, simple products to understand. Delinquencies are ticking up if you start to listen around the edges for all these American Express, Capital One. Are you seeing similar? We're not. Um, so at current, we uh, focus, and many other uh, neobanks, challenge banks, focus on um, primacy. So we try to get the paycheck as quickly as possible, and then we focus and deepen on, on that relationship. When you look at uh, Cap One and, and some of these other lenders, they have gone into banking to improve their, f their funding costs over time. But what they have started with is unsecured revolving credit cards for people that potentially this product doesn't suit in troubling and tough times. So we're not seeing the same kind of charge-offs, and, 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 and that's why. So do you mind speaking a bit about fee transparency and how that might serve the consumer that, that might be looking for your service or another, you know, a firm-like service in terms of shoring of their finances, working capital, cash needs? Yeah, the, the White House is being all over the fees, and I think that's, that's correct. Um, every, uh, every fintech has gone, both public and private, has gone towards a path of profitability, and that's from growth at all costs. So there has been some fees that I think over time, at least in the last 14 to 18 months, 
have probably not been applied correctly in, 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 in every single company. Um, what I would say is that fintech has the customer's uh, mind share and, and, and good, uh, good uh, will at heart. And so um, despite all the regulatory oversight that we've seen over the last 14, 18 months, we are doing the right thing as an industry. We're providing valuable liquidity. And I think when you look at junk fees and all this other stuff that, you're, that, that the White House is coming out at, this is traditional banking. This is, this is, these are old names that you're, you're well aware of. Well said. Stuart, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Stuart Sop of Current. Um, PayPal had a great day today. I mean, a lot of the fintech yeah. names today had a good day. Well, it's funny, really interesting. Um, I, I was out at Money 2020, so it was this huge uh, fintech event in, in Vegas last week. I was out there with Stuart, actually, and it was interesting. It kind of felt like there was a tide turning a little bit as far as sentiment. And if you think about what we've seen in the public markets in the names that we're talking about, and you see the sort of bounces that they're having in relation to good news, it felt that way a little bit in also in the private markets. There was a lot of private market companies out there, too. So to me, it's kind of interesting, you know, to see a stock like Square up as much as it is after a guide up. We haven't had good news in a name like this in a very long time. So again, my final trade the other day was in PayPal. I just think it got really washed out. It's a very profitable company and they're growing still. So to me, I don't know. I think there's some interesting values in the space right now. Yeah, I'm long PayPal. uh, And they got a bunch of downgrades, which were basically equal to upgrades. In other words, you had a street, and, they, and the, the target price for all the street who downgraded them after these numbers, these numbers were fine. Uh, it was a tough time for payments over the last couple of weeks, so uh, interesting. The world right. line is. Yeah. From fintech to traditional finance, a carry regional bank ETF surging more than 5% today. That's its best day since June as Treasury yields pull back. It's now on pace for its best week since January of last year. Um, you know, sometimes these, this group is referred to as a falling knife. I don't know if that fall is over, Guy, especially with the Fed sort of on the sidelines. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, this move in yields helped considerably to assuage some of the concerns. And again, in absence of bad news, this is a sector that goes higher. But I'll say this, you know, if you look at the Russell, the IWM had a decent day, but that's been rolling over. And the large component of that are small and regional banks. I don't think the worst is over. And I got to tell you, the volatility in the bond market probably means there's some other tape bomb default at some point. Yeah, there's probably some logic behind chasing the laggers. I, I can certainly understand that. Uh, it's, it's a tough name. But as I said earlier, I just think it's tough when you're starting to see leadership from this specific uh, subsector. I don't think anything fundamentally has changed about that space. I think it very much is a Fed story. And that remains to be seen whether that persists or whether we see somewhat of a pivot tomorrow. All right. Coming up, are consumers missing the bullseye? Target CEO voicing his concerns about the state of spending. We have the comments straight ahead. Again, we look at overall retail spending, just look at the top line, you say, all right, a really healthy consumer, and they are spending. But even in food and beverage categories, over the last few quarters, the units, the number of items they're buying, has been declining. In discretionary goods, we've seen seven consecutive quarters of both dollars and units declining. So you're buying less apparel, less items for your home, fewer toys, that was Target's chairman and CEO Brian Cornell earlier on Squawk Box, voicing his concerns about consumer spending. Shares of the retailer were up today, but have had a rough year, as you know, down about 25 percent. And new forecasts showing consumers are likely to spend a record amount this holiday season, despite economic headwinds. The National Retail Federation projecting sales to rise by 3 to 4 percent in November and December to a total of just under a trillion dollars. So just how strong is the consumer here? 
Um, is it really a Target-specific story, perhaps? Maybe they're just simply losing share to other retailers. Yeah, we've said that for a while. They're in the middle, not where you want to be. By the way, that's floundering Target. Walmart made an all-time high today, and that continues. Listen, the pullbacks become more and more shallow. That stock continues to sort of grind higher. And you know what? Valuation, even though it's probably stretched, you could probably justify it. So I still like Walmart over Target. It's been interesting to look. He mentioned the food and uh, the beverage space. And if you look at some of the spirits companies they've and, and the beer companies, Molson Coors announced, um, there's some struggles in there. And, and there's certainly some sense that this uh, the consumer is trading down. We've also heard this in luxury, that, that, that consumer at least, and maybe some of that was an Asian consumer, maybe some of that was a Chinese consumer. Um, but I, I think there's no question about it. The question back to Target, though, is haven't you priced this in? We've heard this, and we know about their sales mix. And I think that discount relative to Walmart, and again, that pair trade, we've done that here. I like Target. November 15th is when they report earnings, so we'll get the full view then. It's funny. It almost felt like what Tim just said about PayPal, those downgrades were really upgrades, right? The fact that he's out there saying this a couple weeks before earnings, I think it is kind of priced in, and you do set up for a potential for a rally if it's better than expected. And again, you know, I think you want to take CEOs at their face value. Um, It does seem like you almost want to extrapolate it maybe as good as some of the – Really, a handful of retailers are doing particularly well. Maybe you probably want to take your foot off the pedal in Walmart here. Are we set up for a rally, you think, Bono, in terms of sentiment? I think we're set up for a rally, but they've got to deliver, and they have shown that they have struggled to do that in some of the previous quarters. All right, meantime, some more After Hours movers we want to bring you. Expedia, Live Nation, Paramount, DraftKings, all higher after top and bottom line beats. Carvana is also higher. Coinbase, Cloudflare, meantime, markedly lower. And let's get one more check here on shares of Apple. The CFO saying he expects fiscal Q1 revenue for iPad and wearables to decelerate significantly from September quarter. Um, CEO Tim, Tim Cook saying China Q4 performance was pulled down by weak Mac and iPad sales. On generative AI, Tim Cook saying you can bet we are investing. You'll see advancements over time. We're doing it responsibly. Um, as far as the impact on Qs, not too much. Qs are down just about half a percent in the after-hour session. We do see Apple shares firmly down uh, 3% or more. We've talked a lot about Apple. I'll just quickly comment on DraftKings. I, I'm really impressed by the free cash flow generation that they've guided for in an industry that's rationalized very quickly. They were spending everything they could on advertising and basically to get market share. Uh, I don't know you chase DraftKings on this because I think this is the kind of stock that gets knocked the minute the market turns, but I do think it's impressive, the profitability. All right. Up next, final trade. That was for our podcast, by the way. You can listen to us. Yeah. You can listen to us if you miss the show. Time for the final trade. Tim. Energy transfer, ET beat EBITDA by 8%. Very clean beat, firing on all cylinders, as Wolf Research says on the title of their report along this one. Bono in. I don't like great volatility. It gives me indigestion. GDX gives me calm. GDX. Dan. Yeah, if rates continue to come down, I think the XLP consumer staples could continue to work higher, maybe back towards that breakdown level, just above 70 bucks. About eight blocks from here, our beloved New York Rangers are coming home after a long road trip, Mel, as we talked Tim's about. Stripping. Excuse me? He's unbuttoning his shirt. How's that? There, that's what I'm talking about. You get about. that? Hold on. Ranger yeah. hockey. There we go. At MSG tonight, Mel. I know you'll be in attendance. Uh, PSX got an upgrade by the aforementioned Wolf Research. I like the pretzel rods and the beer. They don't do it anymore. Steins. Thanks for, oh. <laughs> Steins. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.